Hello and welcome to another episode of Focal Point. Today I'm delighted to be interviewing Kevin Hewitt. Kevin is the chairman of FDI Consulting's EMEA region and is an expert in corporate turnaround and restructuring. Prior to his work at FDI, he was also a partner in restructuring at EY and also completed a two-year secondment at HSBC. Kevin, welcome and thank you for coming on the podcast. Could we perhaps start with a brief explanation for those who don't know of FDI Consulting and of your role as EMEA Chairman? Absolutely, and uh, thank you very much for the uh, for the opportunity, Chess. I uh, I really do appreciate it. Of course, so FTI is a uh, we're a public company in the U.S. We've got a market cap of about four point five billion dollars. There's six thousand two hundred of us um, globally. We've got um, eighty four offices. We're in twenty seven countries, and we advise ninety six of the world's top one hundred law firms. We advise the top banks and we advise the top uh, Fortune Global 100 corporates. They're all clients of our, of our firm. I chair the EMEA region, uh, and in the EMEA region, we're about, um, there's 2,200 of us, about 170 partners. We're in 11 countries across Europe, uh, across the Middle East and Africa, and our European headquarters uh, are, in, uh, are in London. And then, but what do we do? We, look, we're an independent firm. We're not auditors. Um, we... We, we advise um, organizations through a period of change where there's a, a risk to mitigate, maybe a, a, a dispute to resolve. And we, we've got this unique mix of, of expertise, of, um, you know, we've got a breadth of services and we've got deep industry experience. And then we advise clients on their most complex, uh, complex issues. Um, so that's who we are. Yeah, great. Thank you. And if we could perhaps dive in a little bit deeper into your particular expertise and they like primarily in the fields of, of turnaround and restructuring yeah. uh, in a few words what does your work or work in general in these fields consist of yeah sure look it's a it's a fascinating world particularly at the moment um, sadly um, so look we typically and I'll, I'll use the word typically we typically act for the lenders okay so lenders who have put money out to corporates uh, normally large corporates and then what we do is assess the viability and the financing needs of those companies. So most often this company has breached um, covenants or maybe it needs more cash, uh, maybe both and often both. Um, so we will assess the root causes of that financing need and advise the lenders on the options. And of course, you know, some of these companies are viable, some of them are not viable. You know, the viable ones you know, will find a way of getting that money into the company, into the capital structure and, you know, in the larger restructuring situations, that situation is quite complicated because you've got multiple stakeholders, multiple agendas, uh, and we find a way of doing that. But regrettably, and certainly in this uh, crazy time that we're in at the moment, some of those companies do not survive. So it's a fascinating market, um, and I'm sure we'll come on to you know, some of the dynamics of the current crisis and how that's impacting restructuring. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you alluded there to the fact that the industry has perhaps been very interesting and perhaps very busy over the last few months. So in, in general terms, what sort of challenges and opportunities exist or have arisen as, as a result of the pandemic in turnaround and restructuring? Yeah, sure. It's, um, look, it's been absolutely um, crazy over the last um, six, seven, eight months. Um, and it was busy before then. Corporates just did not set themselves downside business plans that would, you know, if you're running a pub chain, have anticipated that you couldn't sell drinks for three months, right? There's just business plans 
that the airlines did not you know, anticipate that their planes would not be in the sky. So companies have had to have, have, have really, really suffered here and have had and have had to reinvent themselves in many ways to cater for you know new social distancing rules, um, etc., and, and and the new regulations. It's been a hell of a challenge. I just say that I think the this crisis is slightly different to the the crisis that we saw in two thousand and eight. You know, and I think we're, we're all trying to reconcile what the differences are. But if you think about what happened there, we had you know that was a U.S. You know, started in the real estate markets in in the U.S. and then you know, spread to the real economy um, after a, a slight delay, I think. But COVID, you think about COVID, that has, you know, exerted a, a much more radical and abrupt impact on our economy and the real economy from the outset. I mean, supply and demand has almost disappeared in some some sectors, which is awful to see. And, you know, as the pandemic has continued through this year, there are a few signs that, um, you know, sorry, um, companies have found it almost impossible to plan for the future because what is that future? And um, you know, whilst the government have stepped up with some pretty significant rescue money to 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 enable these companies to survive, the problem is, um, Chet, that what we've got at the moment is that a whole raft of money was put into these corporates at the beginning of the pandemic, and in many many cases, that cash has been wiped out. Right, it's gone. It's gone and it's been used to absorb continuing losses just to survive. So the dynamic that we find ourselves in now as restructuring advisors is that, you know, can these, you know, should these corporates, um, can these corporates take on even more debt to trade through the crisis for the next six, nine, 12 months? And look, the reality is that some will, some will survive, but many, many, many will not. Yeah, no, certainly very uncertain and challenging times for a lot of companies sort of across the economy as a whole. But obviously, the effects of the pandemic haven't been completely equally distributed across all sectors. So I suppose my my question is really, which sectors have taken the brunt of, of this? And are there sectors that FDI has worked with more commonly or more frequently as a result of COVID in the restructuring sense? Right, absolutely. Um, look, as you can imagine, we've seen a deluge of work in the aviation and the airline industry. You know, if you're in retail, if you're in automotive, if you're in pubs, if you're in restaurants, if you are, you know, a car rental business that you know has been exposed to the lack of footfall in the airports. You know, we get off planes, we go and hire a car, right? You know, cinemas that you've had to now close because there are. You know, people are just not going to go. So consumer behavior, you know, you're a consumer, I'm a consumer, you're, you know, your colleagues, students are consumers. I think it's fair to say that our behavior has probably permanently changed as a result of COVID, probably. And business models of companies out there, they've got to change, right? They've got to fundamentally change to survive this crisis. And, you know, corporates have got to sort of reimagine themselves you know, how they're going to interact with their clients, their customers. Otherwise, they simply will not survive this, this, this crisis. But I'd also say it's not all bad news because if you're, you know, some other sectors have seen an incredible surge in sales. You know, if you're, um, if you're smart enough, you know, to invent the Peloton, you know, cycle, right? You know, you've, it seems like everybody's got one of them in their houses these days. Um, you know, if you're a, a pharma company, you know, if you're Amazon, if you're Apple, if you're Netflix, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you're, 
you've had a pretty good run through um, through through COVID, and the you know I imagine that that will continue for them. Yeah, and then sort of perhaps moving away from the economy in general to the corporate right. finance sector and the professional services sector itself. Obviously, FTI is not the only actor in, in the corporate finance and the restructuring space. Um, and you previously worked at EY. And a huge development that we've seen recently is this sort of imminent or ongoing separation of audit and non-audit practices of, of the big four firms. So this is sort of a two-pronged question. Firstly, what sort of effects do you think that's going to have on the professional services industry? And secondly, what does it mean for FTI in terms of competing with other firms in the restructuring space? Yeah, very good question. Um, so, look, I think you, as, you, as, as you you would have observed, the big four firms are under enormous scrutiny at the moment for the quality of their audit work. Yeah, you know, follow following some you know some high high profile corporate collapses. So the Carillions, the Thomas Cooks, the and then you picked up the NMC Health, a big big health company. Uh, Wirecard, um, you know, a spectacular collapse in the German market are just a few. And, you know, the UK regulators are calling for greater um, competition amongst the audit firms in terms of the uh, audit of large corporates. They're looking for uh, greater transparency um, in terms of the investment in and the profitability of audit work, you know, and does do the, do the other parts of the firms subsidise the audit, the audit relationship? And the regulators are really pushing quite hard now for the big four to operationally separate their audit and their non-audit parts of the business. And it's very much a live, a live discussion. In fact, the big four were you know, only last week had to submit their plans to the UK regulators to separate those businesses. They've got some time to do that. They've got a few years uh, through to, to, to 2024 to put that into to, to operation. But the, but the trend has been set, no question that that's going to happen. And it's all about rebuilding confidence in the quality of audit. The UK economy needs a resilient audit market. It, I mean, it simply does. Otherwise, investors don't invest. And if, and if investors don't invest, then we've got a problem. So investors need the confidence that that's going to, going to work through. So it is critical, absolutely critical, improve the quality Define what an audit is. I mean, there's a, you know, it's a paper to write, but, you know, what is it? What is expected of an auditor? Are they expected to find these very complex, clever frauds that are out there? You know, these are clever people, right? Um, clever on both sides, but, you know, is, is, is it a responsibility of the auditor to do that? At the moment, it probably isn't, but there's a lot of push that, it, that maybe it, it, it should. In terms of implications for us, um, Look, we're seeing that um, on the non-audit side, there are parts of the businesses in the big four that the big four will dispose of. So I, I expect from our perspective, we'll see some of those non-audit businesses, some of the people that run those businesses may be looking for alternative careers. And we are at FTI one of those options for them. Yeah. Let's turn now, if we can, to FTI as a firm and sort of FTI's story and where it is now. Yeah. So we're talking about a firm that's grown extremely quickly since it was founded. It's founded in 1982 and now has nearly 6,000 employees. So I suppose what kind of challenges and opportunities does such rapid growth bring as an employee at FTI? Sure. Look, I mean, I'd say the first thing, it's been a lot of fun being the, um, you know, the disruptor in the market, which is what we've been. So we, you know, we've 
set our business up you know in a very very specific way and as you say we've grown it very rapidly and we've done that within an environment of being very you know we've got a very open constructive and it's very transparent culture so you, you we've had the opportunity to sort of set the scene of what we wanted to be because it was a very clean piece of paper and we look the spirit of the business is is that we back we back our senior people um, and we back them to build their businesses we trust them um, until we don't uh, to do that we give them time to do it look it's very easy there'll be many examples of this it's very easy to build a business that has a very short shelf life right that's easy right anyone can do that it takes a little bit longer to you know and patience which is not a virtue of many of us but um to build a you know a business that leads in the market okay it takes time it takes five ten years so you set your sights on what you want to be and then you take your time to get there we've waited check for the best people right to to be available uh, to come and join us uh, and we've created an environment which, which um, I guess, rewards people for building those businesses over time rather than rewarding them for, you know, just rewarding them for short-term success, which doesn't right. get you the long-term benefits necessarily. Yeah. So let's, let's turn now to sort of your own career. So you've previously worked, as I mentioned, at EY, um, and you also spent a couple of years at HSBC. So I guess my, my question to you is, how did you manage the transition between different firms and then between different roles within those firms throughout your career? Yeah, um, so um, look, my time my time at HSBC, actually, the two years I spent there was actually a secondment. Um, yeah. So I was actually at, at Ernst & Young and they, they were kind enough to give me the opportunity to spend two years working for I've shown my age now, actually Midland Bank, as it was then before um, before it was acquired by HSBC, to work in the effectively the credit and the restructuring department of the bank. It was, you know, an incredible experience uh, and one that I would encourage you know you know everyone to to do is to you know, go outside of your comfort zone. Um, and I was given the opportunity to you know look at the restructuring market through a banker's lens, right? So. I was advising lenders and then I took two years as being effectively a client and um, you know, that set me up um, very, very well. Uh, and, you know, I then had 24 fantastic years at Ernst & Young, 10 years as a partner doing, continuing to do restructuring work, but having benefited from that experience outside the firm and, you know, I've still got you know, many, many friends in the bank that um, continue to support our firm, for which we're very grateful. And then, um, I was given then the opportunity to, I wasn't looking actually to leave, but um, was then given the opportunity to build FTI's business in Europe. So as you, as we talked about at the, at the beginning, uh, FTI you know, is a US company and 12 years ago, all of its employees were in the US effectively, and they were looking to expand into Europe. And we, um, myself and two of my, two of my colleagues, um, at Ernst & Young, we, we left Ernst & Young to set the business up. And then we were given, as I touched on earlier, the opportunity to build that business. And we said, we'll do that. And we've had a lot of fun doing it. It's been hugely successful. I think the important thing is we're very proud of it. And, you know, uh, graduates and, and analysts and consultants that joined us uh, on that journey 12 years ago are now partners in the firm, right? And uh, that's... Yeah. Um, 
you know, we take a great deal of pride in that as we've seen their careers blossom um, over the course of the last 10 years with us at FTI. Yeah, definitely. No, that sounds that sounds really rewarding, actually. And obviously, you've had you've had an extremely successful career, and it's a, a career that's sort of taken a couple of different turns, and and you've held you know a, a sort of a good number of, of positions of responsibility as well. So, my last question to you would be: if you had one piece of advice for LSE students who have recently graduated or are perhaps about to graduate in the next couple of years, what would it be? Okay, so I, I, I um, so people that do know me, I, uh, I bore them with my uh, some of my sayings sometimes, and some of my you know, principles of leadership and the like. And look, I carry if I can you know, rather than one, I can just sort of encapsulate this with you know the five principles that I've carried around with me in my leadership roles. And look, it's worked for me. It may not work for others, um, but maybe maybe this will resonate with your with your with your uh, recently graduated or about to graduate colleagues. So. Number one, be yourself. It's really hard to be someone you're not. People will either like you as yourself or they won't. It's never bothered me one way or the other, right? So principle number one, be yourself. There are so many people out there, Chet, that try to be someone they're not, and they are. They end up not being successful in whatever career they end up doing. So be yourself. Um, if you can, find a mentor that's going to take an active interest in your career. And I've been very, very fortunate to have that person in my professional career. And, it, and it's often by luck, sometimes by judgment. But if you can find that person who you know, not wakes up every day and thinks about you know, how your career, but takes an active interest and helps you navigate around the world, it's incredibly useful. So go find a mentor and be bold about finding it. Three, Treat people the way that you want to be treated yourself. <laughs> it's a very humane thing. And you get the best out of people around you when that happens. And again, in my career, you know, the last 30 odd years, I've seen, I've seen people treat people that you just, it's just unacceptable. And you treat people the way that you want to be treated yourself. Hold it to that standard. Four, Never be scared to hire people that are better than you, right? right? That is your job. You can't build a business if you don't do that. Right? Um, you can't build a business because you're always hiring people that are not as good as you because you're threatened, right? And mm. that's what you know, we've done there. And then finally, do the right thing. I have to say, do the right thing. You'll be amazed the loyalty you get from people if you do the right thing, right? And that can mean a number of number of a number of things, but I've always done that or tried to do that. And then you get loyalty in return, which is a very special thing in a professional services organization. I hope that resonates as sort of some core, you know, very core um, principles that have served me well, at least through my career. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much. I think that's no, that's definitely some really good advice. And I think lots of food for thought for, for LSE students listening to this. Uh, I'm sure they've also very much enjoyed getting to know FCI Consulting a little bit better. So thank you for all of your advice and all of your insights into the industry. Um, I think that sort of concludes the interview. So thank you so much for coming on. And thank we you. hope to catch up again soon. Fantastic. Take care.